three, two, and one. Greetings and welcome to our community. The podcast that you've been waiting for is finally here. The Colombian Exchange. And this one obviously is destined for the history fans of our community. Those who love reading about the past and reading about the events that engulf our history of mankind. So, let us begin. Today's episode will focus on something that exists in most kitchens of today, about something that we so much love and so much use in today's cuisine. Today we're going to talk about the origin of potatoes and tomatoes and a bunch of other plants as well. So, did you know that there is a link between potatoes, tomatoes, corn, peanuts, pumpkins, squashes, pineapples, chili pepper, and even tobacco. There is something that links all these that I've mentioned together. And that thing is, mm, we'll talk about it eventually. So, just gonna drop a quick fact here. Did you know that more than 500 years ago, people did not know that a potato or tomato exist? They didn't know that something even that looked like a tomato existed and uh, it didn't obviously didn't exist in Africa, didn't exist in Asia, didn't exist in Europe. So where did they come from? Where did they come from? Obviously not from space, but we'll actually talk about that. Our story begins with the dawn of humanity. Uh, some time ago, eons ago, humans first emerged in Africa. We all know the story. And from Africa, the birthplace of humanity, humans ventured across the world and settled in it. First, they traveled across the Great Sahara to Egypt and Mesopotamia. And there, some settled. Some settled to build great civilizations, and others continued to venture as hunter-gatherers. Hunter-gatherers because humans first, firstly, before they settled in these civilizations, they were hunter-gatherers. They just hunted and gathered food. But soon that ended, Yanni. They, that essentially stopped, but some continued. And those who continued reached Europe, reached Asia, and those that reached Asia found a bridge, a hidden bridge, a temporary bridge between Asia and North America. It is called the Bering Iceland Bridge. And this corridor allows people to move from Asia to America. So humans, obviously, as curious as we are, crossed that bridge. And what happened is that that bridge eventually melted. Because remember, that ice bridge was the result of the Ice Age, one of the coldest periods that humanity has witnessed. The Ice Age uh, began more than 50,000 years ago and ended just recently, less than 10,000 years ago. When this Ice Age ended, that bridge melted. And when it melted, the two segments of humanity were separated for thousands of years. And the two progressed across time without knowing the other exists. This is the great separation between humans. They built 
Okay, so the two built their own empires, created their own philosophies and cultures and so on. We can mention the Mayan Empire, the Incan Empire, the Aztec Empire, and from the other side we can mention the ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, and so on. So, till one day, till one day, the two became one again. And that time, we're gonna talk about it. So, let's go back to, let's go to Europe now, 15th century. The Renaissance had just started, and science is flourishing again. The trade situation? Well, something is happening, and uh, it's not pleasing everyone in Europe. The thing is, the Ottoman Empire was expanding rapidly, and as it was expanding, it was controlling more and more the trade in the Mediterranean. So, here's something to consider as for a, an average European. Back in the 15th century or 13th century and uh, around that time, there was something called the Silk Road. This Silk Road was a trade route between Asia and the end route, which was Europe. What was being transported? Well, silk, obviously, porcelain, and many other things, including spices. So these things, or these commodities, or these products were making their way to Europe by merchants transporting them across the Silk Road. And by the end of the route, the Venetians were tasked to deliver all these goods across Europe. So when the Ottoman Empire started expanding, obviously, it had issues with the Christian world. They raised their tariffs, and the prices of these goods started rising in Europe. Obviously, this pissed off a lot of people, but they couldn't do much about it. And this was, this was really, was really a bad situation, because those commodities or those products started increasing in spices, and people who used to afford them could not people started hating the Ottoman Empire. And this culminated, or this reached its peak, when Muhammad II finally, uh, we call it liberate, but I would also call it conquered, Constantinople, the city of world's desire. It used to be called, it used to be called the city of world's desire because it was a very big city, harbored a huge population, and it was very beautiful. It was it was a center of culture. It was a center of trade. It was it was it was a center of once the Eastern Roman Empire. But that was that ended when the Ottoman Empire conquered, liberated that city, and added it to its domain. And it obviously became the new capital of the Ottoman Empire. So during the situation, the Portuguese were um, were kind of the maritime leaders of Europe. They were loving the seas. The Portuguese really enjoyed discovering or making maps about the seas. We can talk about some of their explorers. One of them is Henry the Navigator. This person, or this explorer, is a prince, okay? He's a royalty. 
But what he did was very important because he discovered Western Africa. Okay. Let's consider, let's consider the average awareness of a um, ordinary European. They did not know what was below Africa or what was uh, below North Africa. They did, not, they did not know what was West and mostly they did not know what was East. So Henry the Navigator started a niche for discovery. He started a niche for exploration. And him exploring the Western Africa directly or eventually led to the discovery of the New World. What is the New World? You will see. So today, we know that America exists, okay? North and South America. We know that that supercontinent exists, but the people during that time did not know that they exist, that that continent existed. We talked about them earlier, the humans who lived there, who crossed from that bridge, but they never returned, and they never sent their messages back that they meant that they made it across new land. So what happened is that, as I mentioned before, there were two humanities separated from each other, and they did not know that the other existed. So Henry the Navigator, and uh, obviously, he couldn't travel westwards to this unknown ocean because there was something called the Atlantic currents. These Atlantic currents come from, okay, so they come from America to uh, the North Sea, okay? So it pushes whatever is in North America towards Europe. So people from Europe cannot travel to America from the Northern Atlantic unless they would go from north of Iceland and by Greenland. So they would have to hug the coast to keep them from being swayed by the currents, by the northern currents. So this Henry the Navigator discovered that there are southern currents. And these southern currents act opposite or act inversely uh, as the northern one, like inverse the northern one. Instead of pushing them away from the Americas, as we know them today, the southern currents pushed them towards it. And Henry the Navigator noticed this, but he did not decide to travel to, to this current and see what was on the other side. He was just like, okay, we just documented the existence of these currents. And he headed back home. So what did he do? Again, he discovered... Western Africa. And this began the itch to discover new places. So again, let's mention another name, another Portuguese, Vasco da Gama. Vasco da Gama was another explorer. And Vasco da Gama proposed something for the kings and queen of Portugal. He told them that here, the Ottoman Empire is threatening the trade in the Mediterranean, okay? I propose a solution. We can go below Africa, okay? We can go below Africa, discover the ocean or the seas that exist below, and cross to India and get silk there without having to resort 
to the trade routes coming from the Ottoman Empire, which was like growing power in the Mediterranean. So Vasco da Gama proposed this, and it was accepted, and he was funded for a journey to India. He did actually make it all the way down to Capi of Good Hope. He made it to India, and he made it back. This was very revolutionary at the time, because finally, 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 the Europeans would not have to, would not have to, um, to rely on a, um, on a middleman between the Silk Road and them. So, this was great news for Portugal, and it was great news for Europe. But, someone proposed something else. Okay. Someone noticed what Vasco da Gama did and tried to go a step further. Let's talk about a Genoan, a person who was born in Genoa, Italy, modern-day Italy. That person is called Christoph Columbus. And this Christoph Columbus read about the southern currents that allow people to sail to this western ocean, to the Atlantic. So what he proposed was that he could sail around the world to Asia instead of having to go all down around the Capi of Good Hope. Christoph Columbus had a brilliant idea. So he went for the country or for the kingdom that was doing these explorations. And who that country was? What that country was? It was Portugal. But he was rejected. So he went to propose his idea for King John II of Portugal. And he was rejected because this king believed that Columbus miscalculated the distance and he was too optimistic. Christoph Columbus was rejected and um, he let down his plan. Or maybe he did not because he brought the same plan and proposed it to. Ferdinand II and Isabella I of Castile and Aragon. Castile and Aragon. These two kingdoms recently, during that time, united against Granada. As we know, it's the, the last bastion of Andalusia. Ferdinand and Isabella, well, Isabella was queen of Castile. And Ferdinand II was king of Aragon. So these two united and formed a personal union and ended up with a kingdom and empire of Spain. Modern day Spain as we know it. So remember this, huh? Spain was once separated or let's say divided between Castile and Aragon. So they called this the Iberian marriage, and it was settled to unite their forces for the Reconquista. This Reconquista was, um, was a uh, mission or proposed mission for them to reconquer the lost land of Iberia. And they eventually did. They eventually kicked all the Muslims from Iberia. And they finally finished this so-called Reconquista. So, again, Ferdinand II, king of Aragon, and as they say it in Spanish, 
Aragon. And Isabella I, Queen of Castilla. Castile. Which they both formed, as we said, Spain. Okay, remember that. So, Columbus knew about this marriage. And he knew that this new Spain was very wealthy. It had a lot of gold. And it was settled. And it, it, like, it recently finished its main mission. And now it has nothing mostly to do. So he arrived at the good time for this Ferdinand II and Isabella I to accept his proposal under one condition, to bring back gold. This queen, king and queen of Spain told this Columbus that he had to bring gold with him wherever he went. And that he had to accomplish his mission, else he would be, say, um, punished, perhaps. So Columbus was very motivated, and he sailed from Iberia to the Atlantic. Obviously, he did not know what to expect, but he knew that he was going to one place, to Asia. So he started his journey with a bunch of ships, I suppose it was four or three, and they sailed together across the Atlantic, all down, um, down the southern, uh, the southern currents, as mentioned before, because they can't go from the northern Atlantic. The currents would not allow them to. So, southern currents, they made it eventually to the Caribbean. The Caribbean, as we know today, Cuba and Haiti and uh, Dominica, Dominican Republic, and so on. This Caribbean islands, he landed in them, and he guessed that they were part of Asia. But he was wrong. He, he landed on the islands. He dis like, communicated and contacted the natives. He took some gold from them. He took some plants from them. And he brought everything back with him. Obviously, before he journeyed back to Iberia, he, he left some colonists there. He left some people who would stay and build a small colony. So, as he went back to Iberia, and by the way, Iberia is, uh, is like the peninsula of Portugal and Spain. Like the whole, the whole shape. It's called Iberia. Okay? Same as the Italian peninsula. So, this Iberian peninsula, back, back when he went back to Iberia, he went back to specifically Spain, he brought with him the gold, and he brought with him the plants he discovered. The king and queen of Spain were very happy, and they were pleased, and they actually funded him for other journeys to uh, discover, furthermore, these Asian lands, or as they guessed so. Eventually, they did discover that these islands were not part of Asia, but a new continent, a supercontinent, eventually being called America. So, Columbus finds new lands, okay? Comes back bringing cold and local food. Eventually, a colony was established in the Caribbean, and it was called Colony of Hispaniola and Cuba. 
whose capital was Havana, a very, very prestigious city, and it would become uh, the capital of the New World at some point. So, the New World. Let's talk about the world, the word New World. When we talk about the Old World, we're talking about the Africa, we're talking about Europe, we're talking about Asia. All of these count as the Old World. And the New World counts as the great or the supercontinent of America. So, the colony of Hispaniola and Cuba. These were settled. The natives were forced to adhere. They were forced to convert to Christianity. And they were, um, they were forced to work under this new colonial empire of Hispaniola and Cuba. So, where do we go from here? Between 1519 and 1521, now we're in the 16th century, Hernán Cortés, a conquistador, destroyed the Aztec Empire with just 500 soldiers. So let's talk about the Aztec Empire. The Aztec Empire was a, once a very prestigious nation that existed in Mesoamerica. Mesoamerica is the part between North America, South America. It's like the part of Mexico as we know it today. This Aztec Empire was huge, it had like millions of population. It was, it was, its capital was like the Venice of the New World. It was built on a lake. It was huge. It was filled with pyramids. It was filled with roads. It was advanced. It wasn't as primitive as people think about the Aztec Empire. It was a very advanced. But somehow, this Hernan Cortes destroyed this empire with just 500 soldiers. How did he do that? Well, let's talk about the word conquistador now. Conquistador, well, it was a name for, uh, for explorers. So, as we know, Christoph Columbus, is, he is an explorer. But conquistadors were like knights and soldiers and explorers of the Spanish and Portuguese empires. These conquistadors, mm, they call them explorers, but <laughs> let's call them conquerors. They were tasked to discover this new land, this new world. Because, obviously, the people just discovered that the continent existed, but they didn't know how big it was. So they needed people who would go there and discover the land. So Hernan Cortes is a conquistador. And he went there with horses, with gunpowder, with cannons, and with diseases. And these ravaged America. So why did I say horses? Did you know that in the New World there were no horses? That may seem funny, but it is the truth. Horses are a new thing in the Americas. Horses did not exist before 500 years ago. In the whole Americas, they had something else. They had the llamas, but they did not have horses. Okay, Gunpowder, they did not have gunpowder. They did not have cannons. And they did not have the diseases that the Europeans had or that they were used to. So smallpox ended up killing millions of people 
and the whole continent was almost depopulated because of this. This is a very sad story. Huh? This is a very sad moment in history because this essentially allowed the Spanish to conquer almost all of the Americas. And obviously, you know today that Argentine and like uh, C Colombia, Venezuela, Mexico, and all of these nations, Chile, Peru, all of these speak Spanish, and Brazil speaks Portuguese. So you know very well that they were uh, they were like they were able to culturally destroy the natives that existed there, and because of diseases primarily. So soon after the Aztecs fell. The land was added to the Spanish domain. And the Colombian exchange thus begun. We've reached the point where we mentioned the topic or the main title, Colombian exchange. So, Colombian exchange, what is it? What is this thing? This Colombian exchange, also known as the Colombian interchange, was this transfer of plants, animals, culture, and human population, technology, diseases, and ideas between the Americas, obviously the new, the old world, and the new world. Uh, again, the old world is Africa, Asia, and Europe, and the new world is the two Americas. This began in the 15th century and 16th centuries. Now let's talk about the cult, like this Colombian exchange. It exchanged gold. It exchanged silver from America to Europe. Did you know that the Aztecs loved gold? They really loved gold. And that all of that gold, when their empire collapsed, was transferred to Europe. And it made Spanish very, extremely rich. Extremely rich. It allowed them to build fleets. It allowed them to wrest control over most of Europe. And obviously, we know that the Spanish were part of the, um, were at some point part of the Habsburg Empire, or the Habsburg's dynasty, controlled Austria, controlled the, the, like the lowlands, and controlled Italy and controlled Spain. All of these were under one domain. So, gold, silver, local plants, and everything. Colombian exchange allowed the exchange of, um, as mentioned earlier, it allowed the exchange of tobacco, sweet potato, avocado, peppers, cacao beans, pumpkins, squashes, pineapples, tomatoes, corn, vanilla, and potato and peanuts. All of these were exchanged from the new world to the old world. Again, all of these that I've mentioned did not exist in Africa, Europe, and Asia at the time. They did not exist. They were recently brought in. These things that you eat, potatoes and tomatoes, are actually less than 500 years old in this continent. Okay? It, was, it was brought from the New World. And obviously, one of the things that were transferred from the Old World to the new world were cows, cattle, sheep, pig, horses. All of these did not exist in the new world. They brought with them honeybees. They brought with them peach, peaches, citrus fruits, olive. Olive did not exist in the new world, by the way. 
bananas, sugarcane, grapes, and diseases. A lot of diseases. The exchange allowed, or this exchange allowed the transfer of smallpox, influenza, typhus, malaria, whooping cough, and all of these. All of these did not exist in the New World, and the natives were facing all of these diseases these new diseases, and obviously it ravaged them, it killed them, mostly. All of them, mostly. Which allowed for the easy colonization of the new land. So, let's talk about the plants. Potatoes and tomatoes, exclusively now. And we'll mention others, eventually. <laughs> These plants, they are exceptional. They are very special, okay? Because they are very nutritious. They are very valuable. And how did they end up being this nutritious? We're going to talk about the Incan agriculture and the selective breeding of plants. Did you know that wild potatoes are actually toxic? Before potatoes were domesticated by the Incans, they were toxic to humans. People who, kill, who, who ate these wild potatoes, they died. Even tomatoes as well. Wild tomatoes are actually deadly. So, Incan, Incan agriculture. These people, these Incans, were genetic engineers before their time. The way they managed to selectively breed these plants is insane. Okay, It's insane. I can't just tell you how they did it, but you have to Google it yourself. The way they did it was like they... They planted them in elevated plateaus and they selectively bred each best like yield of each plant till they ended up with the best out of the best out of the very best. So these potatoes that you have right now, they were selectively bred by the Incans all the way in Southern America. Remember that when next time you try to eat one. So... These plants were new in Europe. These plants did not exist in Europe, as we mentioned again and again. And these plants, okay, these plants, tomatoes and potatoes, I'm going to say this, ended up making Europe as we know today. It brought Europe to the extremes. It allowed its population to rise to... To this, like, to end up with these huge populations, it allowed the rising, um, the rising number of people, the rising number of armies, the rising number of workers. It made Europe the great power that it was during that period. Okay, because as we know, Europe participated in the colonial, the colonialism of the New World, and the Ottoman Empire did not. Eventually, after the 17th century, the Ottoman Empire started declining, and the Europe started rising. And I think so, and I believe that it was mostly because of potatoes and tomatoes. And here's why, okay? Here's why. So, potatoes are actually can actually grow everywhere and need so little care. It contains a ton of nutrients, and it yields a ton if you plant some it gives you a lot have you ever seen like a potatoes and how they were like 
how they are harvested. You just plant one potato. Okay, you can even try this one. Plant one potato and find out how one potato can like end up being giving like and end up giving you how many potatoes it can result from just one. You will see by yourself because that was revolutionary at the time. People in Europe mostly 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 relied on wheat and made bread from this wheat. But the arrival of these potatoes changed everything. It allowed peasants to be well fed. It allowed famine to go away. It allowed people to focus less on food and more on ideas, more on like new ideas to write, to discover, to 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 like compose music and things like that. The cuisine also changed. Let's talk about pizza. Did you know that pizza? Tomatoes are a special, like, a unique ingredient that in pizza. You have to have tomatoes or else it wouldn't be called pizza. Did you know that before, 500 years ago, there was no pizza with, a tomato, with tomatoes? Or with the sauce, the obvious sauce. It arrived with the Colombian exchange. And that's how revolutionary that exchange was. So... Initially, these potatoes, okay, now let's talk about potatoes exclusively. Potatoes were feared and were only given to animals in Europe. That was initially, okay? People were scared of this new plant because if you don't know how to, like, uh, if you don't know how to um, protect it or cover it, if you don't know how to plant it and harvest it, it can actually be toxic. Some potatoes are actually toxic. If it's green, it can have like that, um, that certain toxicity that can end up giving you a bad stomach and uh, ruining your day, obviously. So people initially feared it and only gave it to animals. And this push to try it, the push to try this plant, did not come from pe the peasantry. It came from, surprisingly, the nobility. Nobles and kings and princes they were the first to try this potato, and they were the first to understand the potential of potatoes. And they sort of forced the peasants to give them their deserved importance. So the peasants, when they started trying the potatoes, they found out that they were so good. They could, plant, they could be planted everywhere in all seasons, and they were yielding so much. And thus, they discovered their potential. Now... Let's talk about tomatoes. Tomatoes, for the case of tomatoes, it was the opposite for the nobility. The nobility feared tomatoes, and the peasants loved tomatoes. Do you know why? Because tomatoes were actually deadly to the nobility, and they weren't deadly for the peasantry. Why is that? Were they having like different stomachs? No, not really. Because the nobility, they used these silver silverware, like silver forks, silver spoons. And like silver with tomatoes, it can actually be um, toxic. Yes, it can actually be toxic. So the nobility or the peasantry, they did not know, uh, they did not like eat with the silverware. They just like eat them directly. And so it didn't damage them. But for the case of the nobility... It was, and eventually they accepted it, but um, 
it was like long time after. So I can explain obviously why it was deadly for them or it was toxic because tomatoes are acidic and they lead they cause like lead to leach out from silverware. So obviously that was not a good idea to to eat tomatoes with silverware and stuff that contained lead. Now let's continue. We talked that potatoes allowed Europe to rapidly increase its population and risk control over the world. When colonialists or colonial, like the people who colonized um, the new world, when they would reap the benefits of corn, of potatoes, of tomatoes, of all these plants, of beans and tobacco. Okay, we didn't talk about tobacco, but you know the story. I think. We should thank the natives who took their time to make sure the best out of the best plants were cultivated. We should thank the natives who ended up selectively breeding all these plants that we have today and that we consider something of the ordinary, but it was like something magnificent that they ended up making. We shouldn't really thank the Colombian exchange because as much as it was like a good exchange of plants and all, it was ruthless for the natives. Many people died because of this transfer. Many people died and ended up suffering because of the triangle trade and people, people being forced to go from Africa to work in the New World, to work in these plantations. I'm talking about obviously slavery. It's really bad, and we shouldn't be shouldn't be so so. Um, so happy that Columbus discovered the new world. It ended up causing millions to die. It ended up causing millions to suffer. It ended up depriving Africa from its youth. It allowed, or it disallowed Africa to prosper. It disallowed Africa to advance because most of its population were constantly, were constantly being transferred from from their continent to another. It is really sad. But consider this. Next time you look at a potato, or next time you look at a tobacco, next time you look at beans and tomatoes, you know their actual origin. And now you will actually value them slightly more, ever so slightly. And now you know that they are. Actually, they had to go through a journey to come here. They had to travel the oceans to arrive to our kitchens today. And consider that story. Think about it sometimes when you're eating. It actually makes you more appreciative of the food that you have. And we thank God every day that we have food on our table. And we hope that those who don't, that God will allow them soon enough and will reward their suffering eventually. I end up now, I finish or close my episode. I hope that you learned so much from me today. I hope that you learned a bit of history of the new world. I hope that you learned a history some about some plants. And I hope you appreciate this episode. And now, I gave you some food for your mind. Some food for thought. And I hope you appreciate it. So, have a good day. Have a good night if it's night, and have a good morning if it's morning. And peace with the next time. See ya.